Good morning, my beloved Orangewood. How's everybody this morning? Isn't it great to worship our great God together, our living God? Hey, we have such good news. There's a Father in heaven who loves us. There is His Son, Jesus, who loves to rescue us over and over again. His Spirit, who's here with us now, it says, where two or more gathered in His name, there He is with us. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the book of Acts. For those of you who have been really paying attention, last fall we started the book of Acts. We actually went through the first eight chapters. Uh, Then we picked up Genesis in the spring. We're going back and we're going to pick up Acts where we left off, Acts chapter 9. And we're going to look at a series called Encounters. Encounters with Jesus through the life of Paul. But let me ask you a question as we begin. What one event... Or what one encounter have you had that has changed your life? I mean, maybe it's somebody you met. I mean, just meeting them in in your life has changed. Maybe it's something that you've experienced, an experience in life that forever shaped you and changed you. And for many of you, it might be a trial that you've endured, something that came into your life that you'll never quite be the same. What one event, what one encounter had the greatest impact on you today? This past summer, I had this incredible privilege of of having a sabbatical and and going over to Turkey and to Greece and to retrace the steps of Apostle Paul. It was Paul that God used to bring good news and really good news of what God has done for sinners like us in the name and the work of Jesus. And Paul would go through the known world then, proclaiming this good news. Have you ever been over there? If you ever get a chance to go, a biblical sites, let me encourage you to go. It's a scary place sometimes, even right now. Right on the border of Turkey, uh, there's skirmishes uh, and what's happening in that part of the world. But if you get to go, And you get to see the places that Paul was or that even Jesus might walk if you go to Israel. The Bible goes from black and white to color. But the the interesting thing about Paul is this. Before he changed the world with the good news of the gospel, or I should probably say, before God changed the world through Paul with the gospel, he was somebody who was persecuting Christians. He was somebody who killed them, hated them. Paul was somebody who tried to do everything he could to stamp out Christianity and even keep us from doing what we're doing today. See, what's even more astonishing or equally as astonishing to Paul's ministry is Paul's conversion of how we came to know Jesus. And that is where we're going to begin today. We're looking at these encounters. We're going to begin with an encounter that Jesus and Paul have together that forever changed his life. And I'm going to tell you the truth. This encounter forever changed our life in the church as well. So as we study God's word together, my hope and prayer is that each one of us will again, afresh, encounter the true and living God. That each one of us, and for some of you, this might be the first time that you might encounter the power of Jesus And how seeing Jesus for as he truly is, truly does change everything. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. And we're going to pick up Paul's story. And we're going to see firsthand this encounter 
that Paul has with Jesus. We're going to read this morning verses 1 through 25. If you don't have your Bibles, the words should be up behind me on the screen. They're also in your bulletin there if you want to follow along there for you as well. But no matter where you see them or hear them, let me remind you, these are God's words. And because they're God's words, they're living and they're active. And they're for you, whoever you are. That God wants to speak to you right now through his word. Let's hear his voice. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him, asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, which, by the way, is outside of Israel in modern-day Syria, so that, he, that if he found any belonging to the way or Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints or, or to your people at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of, of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He's the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who has made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? 
And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. All of you who feel like basket cases this morning, you're in good company. Paul, Moses, God does great work with basket cases. Let's pray. Father God, what is so clear about your word today is that you are needed for us to see rightly. And we're blinded from who you really are without your grace to touch our eyes and our minds and our hearts and give us the ability to see. Father, that is my prayer this morning that every single one of us would see Jesus. See Jesus as he truly is, not as who we think he might be, but who who he is, so that we can worship him in spirit and truth. And God, would you come and would you be with us and be with your people and speak through a broken sinner like me. Give us ears to hear your voice, minds to understand your word, hearts to embrace your truth, And God, give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name. The things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like Jesus, your Son and our Savior? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You'll find in a bulletin an outline if you want to follow along with me that way. And we're going to look at Paul's life in three different ways. We're going to see Paul before his encounter with Jesus. We're going to look at the encounter that Paul had with Jesus. And then we're going to look at the consequences of that call and that encounter. This week, Katie and I were were coming home from a dinner with some friends, a pastor friend and his wife. And as we made our way uh, down Maitland Boulevard, we were stopped at a light, and the light next to us was a car. And I just, I always kind of look for bumper stickers. I always kind of notice those kind of things. And there was a, a plate that went around, kind of, I guess you could call a vanity plate that went around the back uh, license plate. And it said this, 100% deity free, good without God. Oh, whoa. You know, that kind of, it kind of strikes you, well, at least it strikes me, and, I, and I, I wanted to kind of hit the gas pedal when the light turned green and get alongside of somebody whose bumper sticker or, or whose license plate holder would say, 100% deity free, good without God. And there was a young woman, and next to her, a young boy, and I just got sad, and I just got mad and said, whoa. Man, life without God. Well, if, if Paul were to have that as his license plate holder or however they communicated their passion back then, his wouldn't say that. His wouldn't say that at all because he believed in God. Matter of fact, he, he devoted his life to God. 
But if Paul had one of those on his cars, his would probably say, Jesus is 100% deity free. Good without Jesus. That would have been Paul's uh, description of who he is. Before Paul encountered Jesus, he was passionately against him. He hated him. Paul hated Jesus. Paul, Paul hated you. Paul hated anybody who called their name Christian or was willing to follow after Christ. You got to understand, Paul wasn't neutral about Christianity. He wasn't ambivalent like many in our society. He was zealous. He had such a hatred that it wasn't enough to persecute Christians around him. He had to go seek them out. He had to hunt them down. He had, listen, he crossed borders to go find them. This is the amount of hatred that he had for Jesus' name and those who would follow him. The Bible tells us that Paul, his name then was Saul before his conversion, he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He literally hunted them down to bring them back to, to Jerusalem. Why? So they could be punished. Why? So they should be killed. you got to realize that many people like that person that had that license plate holder are against religion or against God. Not Paul. Paul was an amazingly devout religious person. What's incredible is Paul was an expert in the Old Testament, God's law. He knew it, so much so that he got a title called Pharisee. And yet for Paul, public enemy number one was Jesus. And yet for Paul, Christianity was a scourge that needed to be purged from the earth. You know, I read this and I say, well, why? Why was Paul like this? I mean, why did he hate Jesus so much? Well, in many ways, he knew that uh, Jesus was going to change, could possibly change everything he knew about life, and he would. I want to give you an image of Paul, and I want to do this. Uh, I want to do this with discretion. I don't want to throw this out easily, but I think it does a good job describing Paul. Paul was a jihadist. I mean, think of ISIS. Think of what they're doing to Christians. I mean, th think of how awful it is that when we hear about Christians uh, being beheaded, being hunted down, why? Because they're followers of Christ. That was Paul. I mean, he, he hunted down. He, he breathed murderous threats to persecute the church. But Paul's encounter with Jesus, with the living Jesus, would change his world and ours. The second point. Paul's encounter with Jesus. We see it in verses 3 through 9. I love it. I mean, Paul on his way to Damascus, he's about ready to enter the city, and, and the light of God is so bright that it actually knocks him off of his donkey. I mean, it knocks him completely on the ground. And there in that, in that prone position, there being knocked out, Jesus is going to speak to him. Saul, Saul, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And I love this. Paul asks, like, well, well, who are you, Lord? Can you imagine how he felt when he heard the answer? I'm Jesus. 
Jesus, he's alive. The reality that Jesus was alive changes absolutely everything for Paul. And the reality that Jesus is alive should change absolutely everything for you and me. If if Jesus is alive, he is who he claimed to be. If Jesus is alive, this is what it means. Listen to this good news. If Jesus is truly alive, we know that death has been conquered. Death no longer reigns. Life reigns. And, And now knowing the story of the Bible, if Jesus is alive and he was our sacrifice for sins, this means that we are truly forgiven. And we are truly set free. So so Jesus being alive actually is proving to Paul that this, this isn't somebody that should have been killed. This is God's son. This isn't someone to, 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 to pursue over those who were loving and worshiping him. He truly is the Messiah. He truly is the Christ. If Jesus lives, everything changes. Who is Jesus to you? Is he alive? I mean, is he a story? Is he, is he somebody in, a, in pages of a Bible? Is he a historical figure? Is he a moral person to follow? I mean, is he, who is he? Because I'm telling you, if he's alive, if he's alive, we owe him everything. If he's alive, we have to deal with God through Christ Jesus. I love the way Paul will eventually talk about the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, he'll, he'll make it very clear. He says, if Jesus is alive, there's the power of God for salvation. But if he's, if he's dead, what I'm doing is wasting your time. He says, if he's dead, your faith is futile and, and it's in vain. It, it doesn't mean anything. L- let, me, let me tell you, make sure that every one of you know that, that Jesus didn't come just for a moral example. He came as a savior of the world. And the only way that he could save sinners like us is if he's a living savior. What good news is he's alive. What an incredible savior that we have. But there's something else that this encounter produced that we got to see that's amazing is that Paul realized that persecuting Christians is persecuting Jesus. I love the question, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He's like, well, who are you? Who are you that I'm persecuting? He goes, I'm Jesus. And listen, if if you're a part of the church and if you're God's son, you should be like welling up with joy right now because he's basically saying, if you touch one of my people, you're touching me. Well, I'm, he says, I'm Emmanuel, God with my people. What they go through, I go through. What they experience, I experience. Their hurts, my hurts. Their sin, my sin. I will put it on me. I mean, what an amazing God that's with us. The Bible tells us that he's the, the head of the church. He's, he's our head, and, and we are the body of the church. And he's basically saying when the body hurts, so does the head, that he is truly with us. For some of you, you need to hear that. Some of you this morning need to know whatever's touching you, whatever's touching your family, is touching Jesus. Whatever touches his church. And the last thing we need to realize in this encounter is this, is that since he is alive, every single encounter we ever have with Jesus is a living encounter. Everyone. Then lastly, we're going to see Paul after his encounter with Jesus, verses 10 through 25. Three things are going to happen. 
Paul's relationship with Jesus will radically be changed, obviously. Paul's relationship with Christians is radically changed, obviously. And Paul's life purchase, uh, life purpose is radically changed. Again, obviously. Paul knew this. If Jesus were alive, he truly is the son of God. What did he do? Immediately said this. It says he's with the disciples. Immediately he starts proclaiming in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. If he's alive, if he's conquered death, he is God in the flesh. It's true. Paul would write in the book of Romans, Romans 1-4, that through the resurrection of Jesus, the Father has declared in power that this is the Son of God. Okay, what does that mean? People want to say Jesus is a moral man. Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus is this and that. I tell you, without a resurrection, they might be right. But if it is true that there is a resurrection and he is alive, that is what Scripture says is the proof that we have that he truly is the Son of God. But there's more. Not only is he a son of God, he also proves that he is the Christ. I love the fact that God had given Paul all this training, not knowing how he's going to use it. He, he became a, a Pharisee. He was trained by a very famous teacher, Gamil, in Jerusalem. He was, he was given the best education as a Jew could ever get. And God says, I'm going to give you that education so one day you're going to prove that the one you persecuted is the anointed king, is the Messiah, is the Lord, is the Savior, is who he claimed to be. And incredible, through that, he realized that he truly is the Christ. Something else happened when he met Jesus this way. He not only had the experience and knowledge, but he also says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, we'll never know. We will never know Jesus for who he truly is without the power of God first working in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit opening up our eyes to give us the ability to see Jesus as who he is. Probably most of us will sit here and say, man, I'm a lot better than that guy Saul was. That guy was pond scum. That guy was persecuting the church. But let me tell you what scripture says, not just about Paul, but for all of us. By nature... We are children of wrath. By nature, we are haters of God. By nature, apart from the grace of God, we are going to do what we can too to trample down the name of Jesus. Maybe not the way Paul did. It's only by the grace of God. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only by the, the love the Father has for us that he opens up our eyes and, and the scales of our eyes fall off and we see Jesus as he really is. Man, he's the son of God. Jesus, he is the Christ, the anointed one. And Jesus, he is my Savior. What an amazing change in Paul's life. But Paul's relationship, not only with Jesus, would radically change. It would change with Christians. He was on his way to kill Ananias. He was on his way to bind him up and take him back to Jerusalem. And now they call each other brothers. How do you think it was for Ananias, by the way? Okay, Ananias, I want you to go. There's going to be a guy praying, and I want you to go, and I want you to lay hands on him. I want you to restore his sight. 
And by the way, you know what he was going to do. He wanted to take you back and really have you killed. Lord, I heard about this guy. This is a bad dude. It's a mean dude. This this guy has a streak in him. This, This is a guy that terrifies us. His reputation goes before him. Want me to go? Ananias, this is mine. This one's mine. It's a part of the family, Ananias. This is a, this is a chosen one, Ananias. He's, he's your brother. And I just love the words as Ananias comes in. He says, Brother Paul, Brother Paul, let me tell you why I'm here. Our King Jesus sent me to restore your sight. That's what the gospel power does. The hate inside of us melts away, and through the gospel power, you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Do you have a hard time loving some people in the church? I bet you do. We all do. How easy was it to love Paul? Look at that gospel power. How is it for you to to, to hear about people's conversions? How how do you respond when when you hear of a notorious killer who comes to Christ? I mean, how how do you respond? Interesting, uh, last week, Katie and I went to see the falls, and uh, the fall, uh, actual cool weather and changing leaves in upstate New York where I grew up. And it's near a town called Auburn. There's a maximum uh, security prison there. And uh, there's a little uh, pub next to it that actually has an electric chair inside of it. And we went into the pub just to go see the electric chair. I mean, you know, walked in, saw the chair, said, man, that's really kind of scary, and walked out. But you start wondering, uh, you know, who was there? Who, who, who last moment was there? Oh, and what if they came to Christ? What if they came to Christ? Even a thief on the cross. I got to confess, that's a hard one for me. Specifically, uh, Ted Bundy. I don't know where he is. But Ted Bundy was an evil man. And at the end of his life, don't know if it was a real conversion, I don't know what it was, but he came to Christ. The power of God for salvation to, to save sinners like us. And save sinners like Paul. What does that power do? It radically changes our relationship with him. It radically changes our relationship with one another. And lastly, it radically changes our life's purpose. I mean, Paul became a chosen instrument. What? To carry the name of Jesus throughout the world. I mean, this is beautiful. A name he was trying to snuff out. Now he's, he's carrying that name around, around the world and proclaiming that only through that name are we saved. Not only that, Paul would suffer for the name. He says, I've chosen him to, to carry the name and I've chosen him to suffer for the name. And let me talk about that a little bit for suffering. Why did he choose him to suffer? You think he was trying to make him pay for all his bad sins? You think this is payback, a tit for tat, God saying, you know what, I'm going to save you, but you're going to really suffer. Not a bit. Everything that Paul deserved, the wrath of God that Paul deserved, that you deserve, I deserve, was poured upon the son Jesus on the cross. He's not saying you're going to suffer because you've done bad things. He says you're going to suffer because in this world you're going to have persecution. In this world you're going to have trials. This world hates me. And if you put your name, my name on you, they're going to hate you too. 
And just because you're a Christian, you're going to be ostracized. You're going to be persecuted. And can I be honest? As Americans, we don't quite know what this means. But there's people who have lost their lives because of following Christ. They've lost everything of their livelihood. They've lost everything. And that's suffering for Jesus. Now, we suffer in a fallen world because we're fallen. We suffer because of cancer and brokenness of life and relationships. Many of you are suffering because of that right now. But this is specifically talking about a suffering that happens when we follow after Christ and the world says you're absolutely crazy and ridiculous and persecuted because of it. You look at what Paul wrote in Philippians 3 and and he's looking at his life, and he's looking at his life apart from Christ. He says, I, I was so religious. You know, I was circumcised on the eighth day, and I was born in the tribe of Benjamin, and I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And as far as the law comes, I was, I was like flawless. I knew it. I was a Pharisee. And he says, I, I consider that all dumb. It's literally what he says. I consider it all rubbish compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and having a righteousness, not of my own, but a righteousness by God's grace that comes through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on, he says, and I, I just want to know Christ. I want to know him. And, and I, and I want to know that, listen to this, the fellowship of suffering for his name. And so when Paul was told, you're going to be a chosen instrument and you're going to suffer for the name, he rejoiced in the long run in that. Because why? He walked with Jesus. He, he says, I bear the marks of the gospel in my body. But whatever was for my gain, I consider it lost. That I may gain Christ and be found in him. And his life, mission forever changed that he had the privilege of carrying the name and suffering for the name of Jesus. Have you had an encounter with Jesus? I mean, the living Jesus. Have your blind eyes been opened to who Jesus really is, the resurrected Savior? He's alive. The Son of God, the Christ? If so, if, if you can say yes, and I believe him as the Son, I, I know him as Savior, he is the Christ, then you too are carrying the name of Jesus. Ephesians 4.1 says, walk in a manner worthy of that name. If he is your Lord and Savior, even be willing to suffer for the name. And if you had that encounter, you're my brother and my sister. And we should love one another because of that name. Scripture makes it clear, folks, that every one of us is going to have an encounter with Jesus. Everyone. And not just, uh, hey, I heard about him. I, but it says in Scripture that, that every knee will bow. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. That he is the Son of God. He is the Christ. And by God's grace, he gives us the ability today to say, this is who he is. Embrace him today as Lord and Savior. Embrace him today as, as the Son of God so that why you can live and you can know him for who he truly is. Have you had that encounter? And Jesus is so amazing. He wants you to have the encounter with Jesus right now. And we're going to do it through the table. And it's an encounter with him. And spiritually, he's going to be with us. I mean, through the tangible touch of the bread that is broken representing his body, through the, through the cup, that represents his shed blood. He wants us to encounter him today. But he only wants those to encounter him today that way, who know him as God, who know him as Christ, 
and who personally rest in him as Lord. Sinners like me, by God's grace, who the scales of my sinful eyes have fallen off and see Jesus as he truly is, we're called to come. Come and feed on Christ again today. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the incredible love you've demonstrated for us that while we are still sinners, while we're like Saul, Paul, nothing wanting nothing to do with you, you pursued us. You pursued us and you came. Jesus, you came as the light in the world. And our conversion is not quite like Paul's. Our story is a bit different. Our calling is a diff- bit different. But this is the same Savior, Jesus. This is the same gospel. And the power of God for salvation in Jesus is the same in our lives as it is in his. And Father, we thank you that we now have the privilege of another encounter with Jesus, that we can tangibly, tangibly come to the table and remember the depth of love that you have for us, so clearly seen in the face of your Son. Father, come. Come and encounter your people through the work of your Son and the power of your Spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper with intention, uh, which means that we are going to ask you to come forward. We have some ushers who will come forward, and, and you'll partake of that by uh, taking some bread. Let me encourage you, take a good piece of bread. Don't take a little teeny piece of bread. Uh, take a good piece because then you will be going and you'll be dipping it into um, the, the drink, the juice, uh, representing the blood of Christ. And so um, you'll be dismissed and come partake right away. But let's be mindful. This is a meal for God's people. It's a meal for those who have had that encounter with Jesus. Let's also be mindful that Jesus himself says, you gotta do this in remembrance of me. On that very night that Jesus was betrayed, he would take the bread and after he would give thanks, he would break the bread and he would say, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner that night, He would take the cup and he would say, this is the new covenant in my blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins for many. Take this and drink all of it. Those of you who are mine, again as a reminder of blood shed for you. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for the depth of love that you have for us here in this meal. Come and feed your people, Jesus. Come and encounter us afresh. Come and turn our eyes toward Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.